How many of you, this has ever happened to you? You've done something, you thought you did a great job at it, and then someone critiques it and says, is that it? Is that all you got for me? And then someone kind of puts it down, and you're like, man, I, I thought it was a great effort. I, I thought I did well enough. And, and you put all your effort into something, only be criticized for it, and then you've, you feel like a failure. I, I, um, you know, I love watching the Olympics. And the interesting thing about the Olympics, you know, they only have, you know, they have three spots, you know, gold, silver, and bronze. I mean, those, the, you know, people train years to, to go to the Olympics and to try to get a medal. And it's, man, it's an achievement. If you can get the top three, I mean, it's, it's an achievement. It's interesting. It's without a doubt, if you listen to any interviewer and someone gets the silver or the bronze, needless to say, they always ask, wow, you almost got the gold. Right. And, and, and you could just see this person like it's not that they didn't want to be number one or get the goal. But there's this there's this rejection of like, I didn't do good enough. I, I trained all this time and I want to get the gold. And and some people are just happy just to be on the podium. But it, without a doubt, there's an interview that just says, well, you know, that that kind of wasn't enough. I um, I uh, I had the privilege of knowing someone that played in the NFL, strong believer, him and his wife, Pete. Pete and Barb Metzler, so you guys don't know who they are. They are, uh, he was the tight end for the Buffalo Bills during the four runs that they went to the Super Bowl. Long, long time ago. And uh, Pete, when I, was, uh, when I was a youth pastor in South Carolina, Pete uh, left Buffalo and was down playing for the Carolina Panthers. And so I asked if he would come and just share with our church and our men. And him and his wife, Barb, have an incredible testimony of how they came to the Lord. So they came and shared our church. Did a wonderful job. I got a picture. Just see so if you believe me. I got a picture. There's me and Pete. I look like I'm 15 years old there. Okay. That's how big he is. He really is big. And I was actually standing on my tippy toes. And that, no, I'm just teasing. I mean, he's a great guy. So I just wanted, just really nice. And uh, I look like I'm like, I was looking at the picture. I go, gosh, I look like I'm 12. Uh, that's when I started as a youth pastor. That's why I'm 39 now. But, um, but anyways, um, you can take that down. Uh, so it was funny when, when Pete was asked the question, uh, a couple of news reporters came to, to the church to interview Pete. And the first thing they asked him was this. And then after they asked the question, when the, when the, the, the people from the news left, I, I, I had asked Pete, the first question they asked is, what was it like to lose four Super Bowls? That was the, and so I, I always asked Pete, I said, he goes, that's usually the first question they always ask me. What's it like? And, and I love the way that he responded to the interviewer. He says, how many people can say that they went to four straight Super Bowls? He goes, it was amazing. I loved every minute of it. He goes, I would lose four more in a row in a heartbeat to even be able to go back. He had such a, and the interviewer was like, okay, now I feel stupid. You know, because they always ask, ask that question. Here's the thing. We've been looking in the book of Galatians. We're going chapter by chapter in the book of Galatians. And, and the, the apostle Paul, he's dealing with a group of teachers, false teachers, that are basically telling people the same thing. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're, you're, even though spiritually before God, these believers accepted Christ by faith and Jesus redeemed them and saved them, there was these false teachers that were mingling and teaching among these in the, in the church in Galatia. And they were saying, listen, that's not enough. There's more things that you have to do in order to be made right before God and what 
began to happen is that there was this attempt to please man and making sure that you were jumping through the right hoops in order to be righteous before God. I believe many people struggle with this thought. They struggle with this thought. Have I done enough? Or I hope I've done enough to please God. Or there's this constant uh, getting on the merry-go-round, getting off the merry-go-round of, of saying, man, I messed up. And then does God accept me or, or doesn't he accept me? And, and I believe there's a crisis amongst many Christians of who they really are in Christ. I, I believe there's this identity issue that many Christians have of who they are in Christ. And we can run to one of two camps. We can run to one of two, two extremes. One extreme is to go all the way to this gray side and just say, well, you know, God loves me. It doesn't matter what I do because I can just ask for forgiveness. Right? We know that's not right. Or we can run to this other camp, this other extreme, that is all what you do, what you don't do, all these rules upon rules upon rules of how you're supposed to act, do this, do this, don't do that. And then all of a sudden we live in this prison of trying to please God through our performance. And so I've got to perform for God and I've got people to make sure that I'm righteous and that I've crossed every T and dotted every I. And we can run to these two extremes if we're not careful. And I want us to, I think Paul, what he does through, through in, in his letter is pull his listeners back to the gospel message. Listen, we have to be gospel-centered in everything we do. We have to be. We, we've got to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves all the time. Because I mean, you know, it's so easy for us to get off over here or to get off over there if we're not careful. And so what God, what, what God shows Paul, what Paul lays out for the Galatians is this is the gospel message. If anyone gives you any other message than the one that I've given you, let him be cursed. I don't care who it is. This is the message that was given to me by Christ himself. If you divert from this at all, at all, you're going to be shipwrecked in your faith. So, so Paul is not happy. Paul is very concerned with this church of going astray by listening to these false teachers. And so Paul writes these Christians to tell them it's not by works that make you right before God. It's only through Christ that can make you right before God. So let, let me say this. Let me say this. This is really good news for those who feel like failures and you could never measure up spiritually. This is such good news. And so as we look into this book of we look into the book of Galatians, written to these churches that which are now modern day Turkey, Paul is dealing with those who who think that they have this this superiority over other Christians. Uh, by what they do and don't do. And so what they were doing was, is, is they, were, um, they were observing uh, certain Jewish laws and festivals and dietary laws, and they were saying, listen, if you don't do these things, you can't be this completed Christian. So here's the problem. During the early start of the church, you had Gentiles who were coming into the body of Christ, who, who were non-Jews. And the, the issue was this. There were those that were Jewish that were keeping the Jewish traditions and festivals and certain dietary laws. 
and, and saying, in order to be a Christian, you have to do these things. And, and these Gentile Christians knew nothing about them. They didn't celebrate them. They just knew, hey, I'm free in Christ. It's by faith. Now, all of a sudden, I've got to do these other things in order to be made right before God. And, and, and Paul says, no, it's not by these things that you are justified by Christ. And so this caused some problems in the early church and caused some Jewish Christians to not associate with Gentile Christians. And, and as we're going to see in Galatians chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump into there. As we're going to see here, Peter, the apostle Peter, started to do this. He started to do this. He, he, he began to separate himself from Gentile Christians, even, even when God gave him a dream and said, listen, if I make it clean, it's clean. And so now Peter's starting to do this, and Paul is starting to notice this, saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. You were just hanging out with Gentile Christians. Now when you get around the Jewish Christians who celebrate these things, you're doing that. You're a hypocrite, Peter. And Paul calls him out and says, you shouldn't be doing this. This is setting a bad example for those Gentile Christians who are free in Christ through faith. And so this type of thinking could easily cause some to believe they're not doing enough and to actually make them feel like second-class Christians. And so this is Paul's warning. So if you've got your Bibles, let's read what Paul says here. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. You can follow in your Bibles. We've got Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can pull those out. You can look at the screens. You can look at your phones. I don't care. Let's look at the Word of God as long as you're looking at the Word of God. Everybody say Amen. Okay, so let's, let's jump into verse. We're going to look at the beginning of the chapter, but I want to first jump into uh, verse 15. And so Paul, after he opposes Peter, he says, are, are we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Notice how many times Paul uses that word justified. We're going to see what that word actually truly means. Verse 17, if while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. So Paul puts the clause in there. This isn't, this isn't an asterisk to, to sin. Not at all. He says, if I rebuild what I destroy, I prove that I'm a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Those are some pretty strong and powerful words. Amen to God's word. So here's, here's what's happening. Some of these Jewish Christians were saying, you are not like us. We do these certain things that actually make us better. And so what they were doing is they were causing these Gentile Christians to actually feel like these second class citizens. And so these things make us better. And not only do they make us better, 
but we're not going to associate with you because we're doing these certain things. And Paul is seeing this and saying, no, 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 no. This is not how, this is not how uh, the body of Christ should function. And so what they're saying was in order to be one of us, you had to eat like us, you had to dress like us, and you had to follow our ways. And so what they were actually doing is they were placing their religious activity over their relationship with their newfound brothers and sisters in Christ. They were doing it the wrong way. They weren't doing it through Christ. It, it, you know, how many of you know what one of these things are? It's a power strip, right? How many of you use a power strip in your house? You can plug all these things in, you look around your house, you can plug your TV in there, plug your computer in there, plug all these different things in there. And then, then all of a sudden you're looking around and say, well, where am I going to plug this in? Oh, I know where I can plug this in. I'll just plug it into the power strip, right? I'll just plug that baby right in there. And all of a sudden you turn on, okay, why is it not working? I plugged it in, right? See, the problem is, this is what these false teachers were telling these newfound believers in Christ. Tell them, well, here's how you plug into Christ. You've got to do all these things. And it was the wrong source. See, in order for us to truly know what Christ wants for us, we've got to plug into Jesus. We've got to plug in to the right source. And so these early believers were being shipwrecked because of these uh, bad teachers, these false teachers. And so Paul is addressing the same thing uh, with some of these Jewish Christians. He says, you can't make Gentiles observe your traditions. And what it's doing is causing the Gentile Christians to feel that they have to fit some religious mold in order to become close with God. So they have this council and they bring everybody together and they basically boil it all down. And, and they tell them, listen, the, the, the big things is sexual immorality. These are things you need to abstain from. These are the things of your old life. And Paul addresses a lot of these things. I mean, listen, some of these things are no-brainers, right? If we come to Christ... And Christ has saved us and he's redeemed us from our former life. Why would I go back to the things that led me astray? Why would I, if, if Christ has saved me and has redeemed me from the bonds of sin, then I read God's word. I'm going to be reading through it going, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I, I, I'm still doing that. That's, that's not lining up with what God has for me. I need to become obedient to the Lord in this issue. Not because I'm trying to gain God's acceptance. I've, that's already occurred through Christ Jesus. But I want to be pleasing to God by how I live my life now. Everybody say, amen. And I think this is where we can miss it sometimes. That my, is my life pleasing to the Lord? Not, a, not that I'm trying to gain access to God through my righteousness. But if we're saved by faith through God's grace then we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. There should be righteous acts. There should be fruit that's being produced in my life. And so Paul's saying, listen, you, you can, by making people do these certain things to make them feel right before God, you've created a huge stumbling block. And so th- th- this, is, this, is, this is about... Them telling you've got to jump through the right hoops, the right religious hoops. You, it, 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 but it's about relying on Christ to change us. We need to plug into the right source. So this type of thinking was in conflict with the gospel of being made right by God, by faith alone. I like what Tim Keller says here. He says, religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. The gospel says, I'm accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. 
Let me read it again because that was good. I should have got at least three amens on that one, okay? But it's good. I think, I think Pastor Keller is spot on here. I obey. This is what religion says. I obey, therefore I accept by God. But I'm accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. That's the gospel message. And so what, what, what Paul does here is he lays out for us in these verses for those who feel like they're not good enough. And so let me first say this. We can never be good enough apart from Christ. Never. Every single one of us has fallen short of God's perfection. We can never be good enough apart from Christ. So everybody take a deep breath. <sighs> okay. We, we can never be good enough apart from Christ. How many know you're always going to disappoint somebody? You're always going to let somebody down. And I think in our Christian life, we put all this just pressure on ourselves. I got to do this right. I got to do that. And I got to make sure. And we put all this pressure. We just need to know who we are in Christ. Apart from Christ, we can never be good enough. God does not set us up for failure. He knows that we could never keep all of the law. That's why Paul says the law could never do this. The reason that God gave the law was to point to your sin, the need of a savior. The law was good in the fact that it pointed to our unrighteousness. So that made us say, uh-oh, I've fallen short of God. If I don't know what the speed limit is, I don't know if I'm speeding or not. Some of you don't care about signs. I know that. I see you on 104. Okay, I see you zipping right by me. I know. But if we know the speed limit is 30, right, and we're going 35, what are we doing? We're breaking the speed limit. Then there should be some guilt. So when we get pulled over and the, and the officer says, how fast were you going in the 30 mile an hour speed limit? Well, I was going over the speed limit. Did you know it's speed? Yes, I did. So you broke the speed limit and here's your ticket. Have a nice day. God bless you, right? See, here's the thing. The law point, it was good in that fact, but it could never save you because we couldn't keep all 613 laws. You break one, you break them all. We would become instant failures, and so God doesn't set them up just for failure. And Paul's saying, if you go back to this system of trying to please God through the law, you're going to be failures. It's got to be through Christ who completed it for us. He completed all the demands of the law for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. Paul says, why are you going back to that? See, what happens is, here, here's what can really happen with a lot of Christians is that when we get so caught up in the law and all these rules and everything else, at the end of the day, let's just be honest with ourselves. It makes us look good. We look self-righteous. Look at all the things I'm doing. Look at, look at what I've done. Look at the way I dress. Look what I do. Look what I don't do. And it really, if we're not careful, it becomes, it becomes very self-righteous. And that's the very people that Jesus dealt with, with the religious people. They, they were, he said, listen, you, you're on the outside, but on the inside, you're... You're dead man's bones. You're a bunch of hypocrites. That's where we have to be very, very careful about our works in Christ, that they're done in him and him alone. So God doesn't set us up for failure. I don't know if any of you have ever run a marathon. I don't know of anybody that says, I'm going to run a marathon and then never train for it and wake up at the day of the marathon and say, okay, I'm going to run a marathon today. 
you'd never do it. You would, unless you're some freak of nature, you would never make all those miles. You would fail miserably. It spends months in training to do that. God just doesn't come and set us up just to be failures. He doesn't just give us the law so that, that he could just show us that we're all failures and that we're miserable, we're miserable creatures and we could never please God. See, this is Paul's issue with Peter, starting in verse 11 of chapter 2. He tells me, he says, Peter, you first ate with the Gentiles... You ate whatever and you didn't care or give thought to it because God gave his blessing on it. But now you separate yourself and you eat only with Jewish Christians and you started to follow kosher dietary laws. And by doing this, he was setting an example to the Gentile Christians and making them feel like second class Christians. And the example that Peter set was that you have to follow these laws too. That's, that's, that was his example. And, and this was the problem because it was threatening this justification by faith alone. What, what, what it was implying was this, is that you have to follow these certain traditions and diets and festivals in, in order to be made right with God. And this creates this feeling of, am I doing enough? And this is not what the gospel message is about. I, I heard a pastor say it this way, and I love it. He says, religion emphasizes rules, which makes you feel guilty for breaking them, and then leaves you powerless to do anything about it. Christianity, the gospel emphasizes a relationship, extends grace to all your rule breaking and gives you life changing power of the Holy Spirit to actually please God. Somebody say amen. That's, that's, that's good. See, here's what Paul is saying. It's only through Christ that we are actually justified. It's only through Christ that we're justified, not by our works. So what does this mean? I like my ESV study notes here. They say justified means to be counted righteous or declared righteous by God. So what the meaning of justification means is, is we're not righteous based on our own merit. It's based on the merit of God that even though we are sinners through Christ, God imputes his righteousness to me through my faith in Christ. So by mixing it with works, then what Paul is saying, you've just muted the point of Jesus going to the cross if you could be justified by your works too. It depletes the power and the work of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on the cross. You can't be justified by your own righteousness. So what God does is he justifies us. He, he makes us right. It's a, it's a legal declaration that God now declares us righteous through his son. This is not based on our merit. So this is the point. This is Paul's point. Following the law can never make you righteous. The only way to be righteous before God is through faith in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 16 again. I love what Paul says here in verse 16. And, and, and I think it's important for us to understand this because he says, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ by not observing the law by, but by not by observing the law because by, by observing the law, no one will be justified. I like what J.R. Packer says here about justification. He says to justify in the Bible means to declare 
a man on trial, that he isn't liable to any penalty, but is entitled to all the privileges due to those who have kept the law. Justifying is the act of a judge pronouncing the opposite sentence to condemnation, that of acquittal and legal immunity. And this is what, this is what God declares us in Christ Jesus, that we are now innocent. See, the opposite of justified is to condemn. See, justification means that in Christ, even though we are actually sinners, we are not under condemnation. Do we still sin even after we come to know Jesus, our our Lord and Savior? If you say no, you're a liar, so you just sinned. I just caught you in a sin. I just caught you in a sin. If you said no, I don't sin. Yes, you do. Yes, you do, right? See, and I, I have to be honest with you because when I was first being raised in Christianity, um, it, it wasn't bad, but there was definitely some rules that, that, that many Christians said, you can't do this, you can't do that. And I can remember struggling with that a lot, you know, with myself. Like, I, I wanted to do the right thing. Yeah, I, I, I always want to do the right thing. You know, I didn't want to smoke, chew, or go with girls that do. I mean, I was, I was, I was really trying to follow that. I was really, and, um, but I remember it led me into some bondage. Because I began to look down on other people who weren't like me. And I began to look at other people and my other friends and say, oh, you do that. Or you, well, you're not supposed to. And it wasn't that they were doing, it wasn't sin. It wasn't, I mean, let's be honest. It wasn't obvious sin, but it was just things that, you know, this, you know just gray areas. You can't do this, you can't do that. And I, and I can remember looking at my friends and saying, well you, well, you can't. And I would judge them. And, 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 I, and I, you know, starting off Christianity as a follower of Jesus Christ at 16 years old, 1982, you, you go through a lot in those years, don't you? And, you, and, and one thing that I've learned over about the past 10 years is really what God's grace is all about. What it truly means to be one with Christ. What it, what it truly means to be justified and to find your identity in Christ Jesus and him alone. Because it's, it, it, it was easy for me to find my identity in what I didn't do. I felt good about that, right? Because I could, I could check mark it. I, I don't do this. So, so it, it was, that was proving, in a weird way, proving that I was a good Christian by, by not doing these certain things. Now, if that's your conviction, don't, that, that's fine. I had conviction about things. But, but when we start to take those things and we start to implement them and, and burden other people with them and begin to judge other people by our standards that aren't a Jesus standard, We've crossed the line into self-righteousness in a judgmental spirit. And I, and I did that all the time. I would do that all the time. And, and, and if, if you're not careful, you can become phony really quick, right? That, that we protect ourselves from really who we are because we want just the people to think who we really are and we want them to think good of us. And then I think, well, that's a good Christian. And it can, you can get phony really quick if you're not, if you're not careful with that. 
See, when we understand of who we are in Christ, that God accepts us despite our sin, it changes everything. My position before God changes. It doesn't change because I follow a bunch of rules. It changes because I put my faith in Christ, who was perfect, to fulfill all those laws for me. So we are justified. We are justified. Not because of what I've done, but what Christ has already done for us. And you have to understand that in Christ, we are no longer condemned. We are no longer condemned. There is no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 1. There's this freedom that comes that even though, man, you've accepted me and I'm still a sinner and I still make mistakes. I am no longer condemned. That positionally and legally before God, I am seen as righteous. So so here's, here's Paul, what he says in verse 20. I love this. This is what Paul says in verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul's been there and done that. He did the whole religious thing, the Jew of the Jews, everything smart, intelligent, well-respected, gave it all up to follow Christ, everything. And so he says, now Christ lives in me. My whole identity now is in Christ, not in me and what I do or what I hang my hat on. My whole identity now is in Christ. And so literally what Paul is saying is this, the old man is dead. That old person is dead. That old ways are now dead. And so when I understand the length and depths that Jesus has gone to reach us, to reach me in my sin, I have to realize that there's not enough good things I could ever do to gain God's acceptance of me. If it's not done through Christ, it'll be an endless pursuit in a pit that can never be filled. And I think for some of you here today, You're either walking in this bondage of what I do and I don't do. Or you're you're walking in this bondage of it doesn't really matter what I do. And I want you to know there's a balance for both. Because listen, there needs to be a death to pardon every single day. How many know that old flesh likes to crawl out of the grave all the time? Right? There has to be a death to ourself Dying to ourselves every single day because it's so easy for our flesh to chase the things to make us feel accepted by God in the wrong way. And so there has to be a death. And when I die to myself, I'm allowing Christ to live in me. That is what Paul is saying. I have been crucified with Christ, with Christ. Paul says that I am in Christ. I have died with him. He now lives in me. And, 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 And I love, let me, I love what Tim Keller says here. He says, I am as loved by God as if I had lived the life Christ had lived. Some of you need to hear that today. See, what this does, it reminds me that I don't have to be good enough. It's not about the rule keeping that makes me right. This is a reminder that even though we ourselves are sinners, 
in Christ, we are righteous. And what this causes me to do is to live a life by faith in Christ. I want to please him, not because I need to gain his love, but I want to please him because I am already loved. And that causes me to want to live a righteous lifestyle before him. See, when I know I'm already loved and I'm already accepted, God has imputed his righteousness to me. And then if I'm living a, a lifestyle that's, that's not congruent with what Christ wants me and is what his word says, that there's going to be a problem in my life. There's going to be a problem in my heart. There's, there's going to be this rub that says this isn't, this isn't right. And it's not, listen, self-righteous, smug, religious attitudes is just as unholy and unrighteous and sinful as someone who is sinning and disobedient to God. So, so let's call it what it is. Let's call both sides. Let's, let's call it for what it is. And so that's why we have to come back to Christ and say, I've got to die to myself because I can be self-righteous and smug and judge other people. Or I can be living this immoral lifestyle that's, that's, that's not the will of God. And so we, we've got to call it and come back to what Christ has truly done for us. And that if, if I truly understand his grace, because both, both extreme, extremes are disconnect with understanding what Jesus Christ has actually done for us in the gospel message. It's a disconnect with understanding the grace that Jesus went through for us. So if, if, if I understand that grace was given to me, then I've got to be willing to forgive other people. I've got, I've got to be willing to show grace where grace needs to be shown. I can't hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. You know, those are things that if the gospel is being preached to myself, I have to be willing to do and to show to other people. And if I'm preaching the gospel to myself, then if there's errors in my life that I'm not living in, in sync with what God wants for me, then, then I have to repent of those things and ask God for forgiveness. See, when I understand that I'm still a sinner, but I'm righteous in Christ, what it causes me to do is to live that life by faith and Christ, and Christ alone. When I see myself holy in Christ, it causes me not to walk in fear, but to repent with joy because I know it draws me closer to Jesus. And it, it causes me to want to obey because he loves me and gave his life for me. Aren't, aren't you glad Jesus doesn't get you in a full Nelson or a headlock and makes you submit. Because he could do that, couldn't he? Martin, you're going to listen to me now. Do what I say, right? Do we have to walk in fear before the Lord. We do. Knowing that we're going to be judged and be accountable for what we do. But, but I want my walk before the Lord to understand that I'm loved and I've accepted. So God, I want to please you. It's, it's like a, a boy and he's standing at the plate and his dad's watching him and he wants to hit that home run, right? He wants to. And that, that's a good thing. You want to hit a home run, right? And so that little boy stands at the plate and he wants to hit a home run, but there's two ways that he could look at his relationship with his father. I have to hit this home run in order to gain my dad's acceptance because I know he'll be proud of me if I do it. My dad always tells me, hit the home run. Make me proud, son. Make me proud. Hit that home run. So now he's got all this pressure because he's got to hit this. So he's just trying to gain his, God's, his dad's acceptance through his performance. But then you've got a son that stands up to the plate. And his dad's saying, son, you know what? 
I don't care if you hit a home run. I want you to know that I love you. And I'll never leave you or forsake you. And I'll always be your dad. So he gets up to the plate and he says, I want to hit a home run because I just, because I know my dad loves me. You see the difference? Some of you here, you're standing at the plate and you're wanting to hit that home run because you're just trying to gain your dad's acceptance. God wants us to stand up to the plate and say, I want you to know that you're already loved. And I know you're going to mess up. But you can find forgiveness. That you can repent. And I'm going to forgive you. Do you see the differences in relationships? Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. Not based on religion and rules. This is the problem that these Christians would face if they listened to these false teachers. That's why Paul was so adamant about them not falling in to this works-faith relationship with God. Never works. You'll never measure up. You'll never, ever measure up if that's the way you look at your relationship. So here's the takeaway. Here's the takeaway. Are you trusting your works to make you right before God? or what Christ has already done for you. That's just the takeaway. I want you to think about that. And we're going to pray, and, and the worship team's going to come. We're just going to sing this wonderful hymn of the church. And, and I, I want you to reflect as we sing this song in closing today. I want you to reflect really on the words, and I pray that they minister to you today, and that you would just do maybe an inventory, just do a... just just a self-examination of your heart before God and where your relationship with God is right now. Maybe you know there's some things in your life that are keeping you from God and you know it. Jesus says, come to me, lay those things out. Maybe some of you are just caught up in that works type of relationship that you just don't feel accepted by God and you're far away from God. Let, Let God's grace bring you back again. So Father God, as we just bow before you today, we thank you for your word. I know grace can be such a messy, messy, it's a messy thing. It's so hard to understand grace that's given to us freely, that there's nothing that we can do to earn or merit your grace. It's a gift that you give to us. But there's a response on our half that says, Jesus, it's by your grace that I'm saved. Let me live my life that's pleasing to you now by the grace that you've given me. And just as the Apostle Paul said, we are loved. And so I thank you, Jesus, that we are loved. And I pray for every person here that they would see themselves as an object of your love. And that's why you came, to rescue us, to literally deliver us out of the grips of hell. And so thank you, God, that you've done everything to reach us through your Son. Now it's our it's, it's, it's our turn to respond to you and to call on your name. And all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I just pray that for every person here. You don't care about their backgrounds, what they've done. All who come to you. For God so loved the world. We thank you that we can find forgiveness of sin through Jesus. So we come to you now. 
and we thank you for what you've done for us. And I just pray that you would bring just, just healing to every heart here today that's struggling. So we thank you and we love you as we just sing this wonderful hymn of the church. God, Lord, just let us think of the words and what you've done for us. You're such a good father. You're so good in so many ways. So we love you, we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. Amen, amen.